Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Amen. Thank you, Grace. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square again. We've been going through a summer series looking at the Psalms, and we've been doing this because the Psalms are guidelines about how to experience life, and that makes them immensely practical. Usually when we think of songs, we don't think they're practical, but these are very practical, even though as modern people, we don't think that they are. Let me give you an example. Look at feelings. How shall we relate to our feelings? Are we the sum total of our feelings? Are we just the uh, basis of our feelings? Should we just listen to our feelings? Or should we ignore them? Should we hold them at bay? Should we keep the passions away? Traditional cultures always say to be stoic, to, to not look at the passions within, but to go without. But then our modern culture today, when we look at feelings, people tell us just, you know, to be really highly cognizant of them. 
But the question is, is what level of agency do we have over our feelings? This psalm, it's a fairly long psalm, but it's probably one of the better ones to help us work through practically what to do with our feelings. And so let's look at it in three ways, three parts. We're gonna start with a good belief, then the contradictory experiences, and then the process of perspective. I'll say it again. We're gonna look at first a good belief, our contradictory experiences, and then the process of perspective. So first, a good belief. Psalm 1 that we looked at last week began with what not to believe, if you remember. The first verse of the first psalm says, you know, do not sit or stand or walk in the way of mockers and scoffers. This psalm starts off with, a ver- look at the first verse, starts off what to believe, that you sh- that to believe surely God is good. Three words, God is good. When I was a college minister uh, years ago, I would sit with college students and they would say about how they didn't know what they believed, or they would say, um, I know that I don't believe. I don't like this idea of belief. And after a couple conversations, we would get to the place where they would realize that actually a lot of what we hold as true is based on belief. You can't prove it, that there's a trust to it. So for instance, I would say, prove to me empirically that there's something called beauty. Prove to me that there's something called love. Prove to me that there's morals or human rights. And over time, we'd realize, wait a second, we can't actually empirically prove those things. Or we have to hold them and as trust. We have to hold them as belief. This psalmist is saying the same thing. He's saying, I believe that there's a God, and I believe that God is good. And if that's true, now he has to work out the implications of that. And I would argue that this is not a throwaway statement. See, a lot of times we just go, we zoom right on by. Surely God is good, blah, 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 blah. But this is a creedal statement. It's a foundational statement that he's starting with. Latest polls say that Americans still believe, 80 per, over 81% of people believe that there is a God, and, and most of those people believe God is good. But if that's true, then we have to say to ourselves, well, what, what does that mean? What are the implications for my life? that God is good. And this writer says, well, the way I'm gonna know God's goodness is looking at it through Israel. See, surely God is good to Israel. Well, how does he know, or how does Israel know God is good? And the way that they know is through the history of how God has interacted with Israel in the Bible. That over and over again, what we see is how God saves his people. How God saves his people from, leads them out of, the, out of Egypt. What's interesting about in the Bible is you don't see God saying, I'm gonna give you the law, I'm gonna give you what to do, and if you obey and if you just do it well, then over time, maybe I'll save you. You don't see that. What you see is actually God saving his people and then everything else comes after that. Go to Exodus chapter 20, the foundational phrase there, God says this, I am the Lord your God, who has, taken, who, have, who has taken you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So look what he says. He says, I'm your God, A, and B, I've already saved you. And now the Ten Commandments come after that. Everything comes out after that. And so we know God is good because of the history of his goodness, how many times he over and over and over again saves his people, He saves them from bigger and stronger nations. He saves them in the wilderness. He saves them through the judges. He saves them through leaders like Moses and Abraham and David. He saves them through miracles. He saves them through 
manna. And so what's the psalmist doing? When he uses this one little word through Israel, he is tapping into all of that to get at the root that God is good, to remind himself of that. Now, why does he need to do that? He needs to do that because the implication, if God is actually good, if you own that phrase, if you allow that statement to actually permeate your heart, it changes your reality. Because think about it this way. If God is good, then that means as he creates creation, no matter how crazy this world is, somehow we know the basis of reality is goodness. If God is good, it means that his son is good. If God is good, it means he answers your prayers in goodness. And you think, well, I don't see him answering my prayers. And the truth is he's not answering your prayers necessarily at your speed, at your time. But if he's good, he's answering them. Go to the problem of evil. How can a good God let bad things happen? If you start with the assumption that God is actually good, then even if we can't actually figure out necessarily why in this particular moment he would allow the hurt and the heartache and the pain and the suffering, it can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he does. he's not actually good. So do you see then how this foundational statement is so important to our reality? Uh, on Netflix, there's this, this movie called The Adam Project. It's, it's a silly movie. It's an action movie. I'm not saying it's like deep thinking movie, but... Um, with 17 minutes left, there is this scene where the main character, who, uh, he goes back in time, sees his father, and he's grown up without his father for the past, uh, since he was 11 years old. He lost his father when he was 11. And the movie reveals that this person has these character issues, these flaws, these hurts, these wounds that he'll never be able to get rid of that have, have been part of him because he lost his father and he sees his father and his father sees him and can tell that they, this has happened to his son. And so the father says this to his son. He looks at him and says, son, I saw you when you were born. I watched you take your first breath. You're my son. I love you. You're amazing. I love you. And he keeps repeating these phrases. And the son at first goes, he gets kind of awkward, like, okay, dad, yeah, thanks very much. I don't need that. You know, thank you. Uh, okay, are we do-? he says, like, are we doing this? And the reason why, and the, the father knows his son doesn't know, can't know how much he, he actually loves him. And so he has to keep saying these phrases over and over and over again until son finally lets that hit him. And when he does, you can see it happen. He, he starts crying, the father starts crying, I start crying. Out of an action movie, I know. But the reason why is because we're all like this. This is our same problem, is that we don't actually know the depth of God's goodness and his love for us. And we need it told to us over and over and over again. And so I think that's what the psalmist is doing here. The reason why he puts it number one, the first thing here, is because he knows how easy it is for us to forget. And so before we move on, I want to ask you this. Is this your foundational statement in your life? Is God's goodness the first line of your song? Is it the mantra of your life? Is it the basis of your reality? I would actually argue, everybody in this room, and I would even argue everybody outside this room, at some level, it's not. It's not. And the question is, is why? Well, I think that's the second thing we see here. Our contradictory experiences. Second thing, 
that we see here is I don't think any believer has ever gone through their entire lives without eventually at some point questioning God's goodness. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. Maybe the reason why you're not a believer is at some point in your life, you looked around at your experiences and you said to yourself, I don't see God's goodness here. And the psalmist is the same way. He has the same exact problem. It's actually kind of jarring because after this foundational statement, God is good, the next phrase in verse two, but as for me, it's very jarring because it's like God is good, but as for me, I don't see that in my experience. I don't see that in my life. And you say, well, where does he say that? What what does he keep on saying there? Well, after that, look at verse three. He says, there's the arrogant and there's the wicked in that I see prosperity in them. And it says, I envied that. I want that. I wish I had that. And he goes on in verse four. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse five, they are free from common human burdens. They're, they're not plagued by human ills. I'm just reading the text here. And so what he's saying here is these guys have nice stuff. They take possession. Later on, he talks about how they take possessions. They have money. They have power. They have nice stuff. They have wealth. And if you move down to verse 13, he finally sums it up. He says, because of that, surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. You can almost hear what he's saying. He's saying, these guys... They don't love you, God. They don't, they don't serve you. And I've, I've kept my life pure, but what's the point? Surely in vain, I've done that. He says, and he knows, he says that because look at verse 14. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning there's just, there's, every morning brings new punishments. In other words, I believe and my life goes terrible. They don't believe and they have great lives. What gives? How's that fair? And what I really appreciate about this is the rawness of uh, here, the honesty, which by the way, the fact that it's in the the Bible should give you the ability to be the same way. But if you skip to verse 21, he actually even admits, he says, I'm bitter. It allows him to say, I'm actually mad at you, God. I am mad at you because of what you have done. My life is not going the way that it should go. How many people that we know are no longer believers? How many people who never will believe because they look around at their lives and they don't think God is treating them fairly? See, the Bible's full of all these promises, all this, all this love, all this I'm gonna bring flourishing to you. And, this, and this, this psalmist looks around at his life and says, I don't see that. I don't feel that. I don't have that in my life. And he's wrestling with that. He's struggling with that. That these people have no interest in God and they have so much and yet he has so little that every morning there seems like there's new punishments. Go back to verse four, let's go back to the top. And he says, I see their bodies and I see them living carefree lives. And, um, let's try to make this practical to us today. I think that you can do social media well. I do think that there's a place for social media. And yet when I read study, I, The problem is I read all these studies that researchers are doing and study after study after study shows that the more we scroll, the more we're on social media, the sadder we get, the more envious we get. And they've actually coined a term about this. They call it this, they call it social comparison. Because what researchers have shown is that as you scroll, as you see somebody else's comment or as you see their lives, as you see their bodies, 
as you see their, their carefree experiences, as you see their activities, as you see their, their dance moves that I don't know how long it took them to do, but they, I clearly can't do it. And what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to the haves that they have to your have-nots. Because you know that you can't dance like that. You know that you don't have those experiences. You don't have those bodies. And the researchers say, inevitably, you get sad. You get envious. You, it brings uh, malcontent into our lives. So what's funny about the psalmist is it's happening to the psalmist too. Now, he doesn't have social media, but he does have social comparison. Years ago, I was um, talking to somebody. He, he was not a Christian. He was considering the faith. He was working through it. And he was dating this girl, and then it was, a, it was a really bad breakup. She breaks up with him. It was disastrous. And he just couldn't get himself over that. He was like, why would God let this happen? I was going to believe in God, but now I, I, there's no way. Now, that sounds trite to you, but some of you are saying to yourself, and have been saying to yourself, why would he let this, why would he let this miscarriage happen to me? Why would he let this cancer happen to me? Why would he let this, this relationship end or never begin? Or whatever, think about some wound or some hurt of your life that feels like it's never going to heal. And you're saying, why would he let that happen? If you have that, and I know everybody does at some level, it doesn't just lead to bitterness in verse 21, and it doesn't just lead to envy of somebody else because they don't have that. Because when it causes these wounds... What ends up happening to a wound that never heals is it gets infected. This is one of these, there are some wounds in your life right now that time will just will not, will not heal. Time heals a lot of things, but some wounds do not heal over time. And you know what happens when they don't heal? They get infected, they fester, they get worse. So I would argue that, yes, there's some people who walk away from the faith because of their experiences, their, their conflicting experiences. But I actually argue there's actually even more people who stay in the faith, but you know what happens to them? They remove themselves to some degree. They disengage. They get, we get apathy. We have a resigned heart. We basically try to protect ourselves from any further hurt. We don't get closer to him because we worry the closer we get to him, the more we'll get hurt as we open our hearts. And what's happening there is the belief that we have in verse 1 of God's goodness comes into contact with our experiences. And there's not just a tension and a conflict out in the world. It's actually going on in our hearts. And the last question then asked is this, what do we do? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. What can we do? What should we do? And I would argue what we need is some process of perspective. And this is the last point here. The, this, the writer gives us sort of an inside view of his process of perspective. He, he walks us through step by step. 
And it begins in verse 16. After he goes through all this, in verse 16 he says, When I tried to understand, it troubled me deeply. I think this is actually the first step. Because when you try, you want to know what's happening there? He's not not trying. And the trial, the trying, actually leads to hardship. It leads to him, it says, being troubled. I think that's actually a good sign. If you ever get, hopefully this never happens to you, but in extreme cold, you can get frostbite on your fingers. And when you get real frostbite, it basically, that part of your body dies. There's no feeling. You can't feel anything. It's over. The good news is that there's still, if there's extreme pain, if it hurts, if, if you're troubled by the feeling in your fingers, that's actually a good news because that means there, there is still action. There's still life in there. Same thing for us. If there's apathy, if you've given up, if you do the, what I call the shrug, where you kind of go like this, it's over. The fact that he's fighting, the fact that he's troubled is the first step that I'd ask of you, that I would say that you've, if you've given up, if you said, I'm not even thinking about this anymore, you've missed the boat. This person starts with, allows himself to not be bothered by his hurt. He's not ashamed of it. He's willing to express it. And don't forget, guess who he's saying this to? He's saying this to God. So that's step one. Allow yourself to be bothered. Express it. Say it. Deal with it. Be troubled. Number one. Number two, very next verse. He was troubled till I entered the sanctuary of God. Till, and this is for, for this individual, this, this is the corporate body of worship. This is at the temple. And so what he's saying is, is that it was there that he begins to figure things out. See, I would argue we doubt that God's goodness because of our experiences. If that's true, you're never going to get God's goodness unless you get an experience. And there are many different ways to have an experience of God's goodness, but one of the ways this person is saying it's actually in the sanctuary of corporate worship, where we're at right now. I know a lot, this, this is, what this is saying is don't just show up to this place for the sermon. Please realize that the songs we sing, today we sing slower songs because there are times of lament, there's times of hurt in our lives, and we need to slow our roll and listen and apply those words to our life. And there are times we sing faster songs, more praise songs, more lament songs. We have all different types of songs because what, what that's doing is it screws it down into our heart. We do responsive reading because sometimes you don't have the right words. We need to expand our vocabulary. Sometimes we pray because prayer is the process by which we take the truth and apply it to our lives. And notice, by the way, when you go to the sanctuary, this is not an instantaneous fix. It takes time. It took time for you to get here today. It takes time to come back over and over and over again. What else is in the sanctuary? It's not just the forms that we just talked about. You know what else is in the sanctuary? You are other people, the community, the body of believers. You know what happens when, you, when you're hurting, you run up, to, up against somebody else's hurt? A couple things happen. One, you kind of get to, to see what their struggles and how they're handling it. You get to actually compare and go, well, I don't have that. And that helps, helps interpret your, your hurt. Then they can help you process what you're going through and you can help them. That's all the location for this person to move through these things. I was reading a, a devotion this past week about, and, um, and in the devotion there was a, 
an example given about an art critic, a very famous art critic, Robert Cumming, who was at the, in London, he was at the gallery, the National Gallery, and he was looking at this sort of medieval painting that for many critics, they didn't understand. It looked, it looked awkward, it looked broken. It looked like the, maybe the, the painter was having a bad day when he made it because it didn't make sense. Everything was out of proportion and it, it looked strange. And then he realized, wait a second, this particular medieval piece was meant to be in a place, in a sanctuary, in a house of worship. And so even though there's all these other people around, he did something that people thought was pretty strange as he got down on his knees, right up underneath the, the painting, and he looked up out of a posture of, of worship. And what he, what he mentions, what he says is everything changed. It turns out the painting wasn't out of proportion. It wasn't... It didn't have a bad perspective. He had the bad perspective. And only by changing his perspective was he able to actually see reality as it really was. I would argue the sanctuary is the, main, is the same place where we go to change our perspective. Maybe the problem isn't God. Maybe the problem is our vantage point and how we view him and how we see him. And so the sanctuary, step two here is one of those perspective recalibration tools, number two. Number three, look at the next verse. He's, just, he's literally going verse by verse. Next verse, 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. This is an image of, of, of uh, um, foundation. A couple weeks ago, I went hiking, and I, I love going hiking, because what's great about hiking is really every thought, you're just thinking, how do I step on sure ground and not on shaky ground? That's really your job. That's all you have to do. We were climbing this peak, and at the top of this particular peak, there was all this sort of loose, they call it loose screes. It's, it's um, just rock, little small pebbles, where it, it, it got to the place where it was so steep, every step you would take, one step forward, it was almost like two steps backwards. Because the ground was not, was not firm, it was shaky. And I remember uh, saying to my wife and kids, I said, if it was raining right at that point, the slipperiness of this would have been, we would not have been able to actually even walk it at all. And that's what this writer is doing here. He's, he's looking around and he's looking at where, where he's standing. He's looking at the foundation that he's on and he's saying, where I'm standing, is that a place where there's a firm foundation? So he's looking around and saying, hey, I could have possessions and I could have stuff, but if I don't have God in that, that's not a firm foundation. That's slippery ground. A couple uh, months ago, I was talking to somebody who was deconstructing from their faith. And that word deconstruction has a really large lexical range. And this particular person, they wanted to talk about the abuses the church have, uh, has, has done. He wanted, they wanted to talk about the history of Christians and the church. And these are important concepts. These are important issues to work through. But at some point in the conversation, I asked the person, I said, okay, this is, uh, this is really important, but do you still believe in Jesus? Just, that's one thing you guys need to know. And they're like, yeah, I do. So, so you believe that he is who he says he is? I said, yeah, I do. I said, okay, then that means that even with all these other things going on, at some level, what is that, how does that affect your life? How does that change how you, where you stand and what, how you live? And the person, I hadn't thought of it that way. I said, well, that, that, that's the case, though. This person, this psalmist, is saying, I have a firm foundation because I believe God is who he says he is, that he is good, and that I can live my life in light of that. And I would argue, if you don't believe in God or God's goodness, 
Well, then you have a bigger problem because then you've, you know, randomly come from nothing and randomly we're going to go to nothing. And yet we're trying to live right now in a life that has something in between. Right? If you don't believe in this particular, if you don't believe in, in God as a foundation, your bigger problem is you can't even be mad at the circumstances we're in because there is no larger rhyme or reason to reality. It's just the way things are. See, that's not a firm foundation. So before we move on, ask yourself, where's your footing right now? Maybe you're a Christian, but you actually haven't thought out the implications of your faith in a very long time. Maybe you're not a Christian here, but you too haven't really thought through the foundation of your footing. And is it, do can you, do you have an assurance found in it? That's what step three. Now, last step, last step, step four. He's amazed. He's moving through this. He's, he's get, he says he begins to get in the sanctuary, but, but go over to verse 23. And he uses this word yet, which is kind of a lame word in, our, in English, yet. It, it, other translations call this nevertheless, which I, I kind of like it because it feels a little more grandiose. And he says, nevertheless, and so he's summing up the verse before, he says, wait a second, I didn't have right perspective. I was was senseless and ignorant, I was a brute beast, I was being beastly. And yet, nevertheless, that all changes when he realizes, I will still always have God. Look at what it says, yet I am always with you, why? because you hold me by my right hand. This is amazing. He's amazed that despite everything, everything he's felt, everything he he has doubted, despite his beastliness, he says, God still has my hand. I wanna be with God and he actually wants to be with me. This is grace, this is, folks, this is the realization. When you realize it's such a tender concept that God has me by my hand, that everything else might fail. Look at verse 26. My flesh, my heart, my life might fail, but he's not going to. He's not going to let go of my hand. What that means then is this. It means, does God let go of your hand when you envy other people? No. Does God let go of your hand when you mess up? No. Does God let go of your hand when you doubt his love? No. Does he let go of your hand when you want other things more than you want him. No, we're told here, you always, I will always be with you. There is a forever and always concept here that you are gonna hold my hand and never let it go. I think it's kind of amazing if you think about this. This is a worship song that's in our Bible about desiring other people's bodies and stuff that we get to sing, that we get to own because At the end of the day, God's still gonna hold our hand, always, always, always. How does he know that? I think the only reason he knows that, as an Israelite, he's in the temple, he knows that there's a sacrificial system, that his beastliness can be paid for by the sacrifice of other beasts. So through symbol and through ceremony, he understood that, but we know something better. That many, many years after this, Jesus Christ shows up, you know what he did? He went to many people who doubted God's goodness. You know why? Because they were crippled, because they were hurting, because they were dying, they were diseased, they, were, they had every argument in the world to say, I don't believe God's good. You know what Jesus did? He healed them. He showed his goodness. He showed God's goodness. And yet, think, just put yourself in their shoes for a second. 
how many people were healed or lined up to be healed, when they saw Jesus go to the cross, they probably thought, this is the worst thing in the world. They thought it was a disaster because they were like, wait a second, now, how can I ever be healed again? They didn't realize, they, they had lost perspective. They didn't have God's perspective that only through the cross could you get real healing, not just physical healing, that where you're gonna, you'll get physically healed for now and then die later. No, cosmic healing, ultimate healing was brought. And if these people who literally touched Jesus and walked with Jesus and was around Jesus and couldn't get that perspective, I promise you, we don't have it either. We don't. And yet you can only get that and see God's goodness. The best way to do that is by looking at the cross to see his goodness. Where he dies so that we live. Where we don't just have our bodies fixed, we have our hearts and our souls. And so I think this is the case. Isn't it the case that if these people thought at back then all was lost, if they thought what was happening is they were never going to get happiness, they were never going to get goodness, they were never going to get the love that they feel like they, ne- they needed. They thought the worst thing in the world was happening, and yet what was actually happening was the best thing in the world. What was actually happening was the most beautiful thing in the world. Could it be the case that we could say the same thing for your life right now? Just take for a moment, wherever you're hurting most, wherever there's that wound that you feel like will never ever be fixed or ever be full, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you feel like you'll never get that happiness through that relationship. Maybe you never feel like you'll get that family, you'll get those kids, you'll get that career, you'll get the, the stuff, the bodies, the, the, the life that you've always wanted. Then what this is saying is when it all looks lost, actually it's not. People back then thought Jesus should have shown up with power on a war horse with, and take his happiness, take the goodness, and yet he shows up and he's weak, he dies, he forgives, and it changes the world. And if that's the arc of all reality, if that's, by the way, in now every single story, including your story, that means the last chapter of your life has not been written yet. That you actually, there actually is possible a happy ending. But the way it's going to come, it's not going to be through power. It's not going to be through grabbing and taking and having, through fame or comfort or approval or people. There will be people not liking you. There will be hurt and heartache and hardship. And yet if you have Jesus holding your hand, never, ever, ever letting you go, and even when you feel like he has let you go, he hasn't. With that truth, friends, you can handle anything. We can go out there refreshed and renewed. It's, you're gonna need to remind yourself, come back to the sanctuary. You're gonna need to work through it. Deal with it. Come with your troubles and hurts. Express them, say them. You can take those feelings, but process those feelings. Work through this to see God's goodness. Go through the steps, right? Don't give up. Go to the sanctuary. Find your footing. And let's be amazed. It takes, it, it takes a lot, but we can do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a long psalm, and at first it looks hard for us to get involved, and then we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, this is my experience. This is my life. This person was able to, over time, process and see your goodness and how you're holding his hand that you're never going to let go. We have the best depiction in all of history through that. On the cross, we have the best vision of how your love has worked out for us. I pray that even with all that's going on in our lives, that's going on in this world, that we can situate ourselves at the foot of the cross to see your goodness. 
Turn our hearts and minds towards you and all that we do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.